Paint Pictures. I've made this recommendation in regard to other works in the Read With Me library, but it bears repeating here. When I teach my junior high students, I often ask whether they have a tendency to let their eyes glaze over when they reach extended passages of description, only to come back into focus when the dialogue returns. Inevitably, most of them confess to this habit. I understand. What prompted me to ask them that question is that if I'm not careful, I'll do that too. But in many novels, and especially this one, we miss out on so much if we don't focus on, immerse ourselves in, and force our imaginations to conjure the descriptions. So, if you suffer this tendency too, when you get to pages with no dialogue, give yourself the express command to paint pictures. Two scenes from these chapters now hang in the literary art gallery of my mind. One offered few details, but given its surrounding context, captured my imagination nonetheless. Quote, I was now free. Often, after the rest of the family had retired for the night, I took the boat and passed many hours upon the water. Sometimes, with my sails set, I was carried by the wind— and sometimes, after rowing into the middle of the lake, I left the boat to pursue its own course, and gave way to my own miserable reflections. I was often tempted, when all was at peace around me, and I the only unquiet thing that wandered restless in a scene so beautiful and heavenly, if I accept some bat or the frogs, whose harsh and interrupted croaking was heard only when I approached the shore." Often, I say, I was tempted to plunge into the silent lake, that the waters might close over me and my calamities forever. Unquote. The painting in my mind is of a still black lake lit only by the moon, jagged mountain crests looming all around it, and in the center, a boat idly drifting, with a man lying on his back inside it and staring with death-like blankness into the darkness above him. Its theme is the despair of a man who has lost all hope and longs to die. I don't know of any such painting in reality, but thematically it reminds me of Millet's Ophelia, the pre-Raphaelite painting that hangs in London's Tate Britain. I'll include it in my email and in the Facebook group. This is the other. While you listen, paint your own mental picture. Quote, it is a scene terrifically desolate. In a thousand spots, the traces of the winter avalanche may be perceived, where trees lie broken and strewed on the ground, some entirely destroyed, others bent, leaning upon the jutting rocks of the mountain or transversely upon other trees. The path, as you ascend higher, is intersected by ravines of snow, down which stones continually roll from above. One of them is particularly dangerous, as the slightest sound, such as even speaking in a loud voice, produces a concussion of air sufficient to draw destruction upon the head of the speaker. The pines are not tall or luxuriant, but they are somber, and add an air of severity to the scene. I looked on the valley beneath, 
Vast mists were rising from the rivers which ran through it, and curling in thick wreaths around the opposite mountains, whose summits were hid in the uniform clouds, while rain poured from the dark sky, and added to the melancholy impression I received from the objects around me." Unquote. I think it's because of scenes like this one that Caspar David Friedrich's majestic Wanderer Above the Sea of Fog is often used as cover art for Frankenstein. There's much in common between them, but not the posture of their central figure. To me, Friedrich's Wanderer projects immense serenity and pride. Not Frankenstein. Painting pictures as you read has a reciprocal value. It heightens your enjoyment of visual art. If you do this for a while, you inevitably find glimpses of your favorite characters or favorite literary moments on the walls of a museum. It's a virtuous cycle of art. I hope this book will leave you with an impressive gallery of your own. <laughs>